you know, these, these rich people with good name out here are moving into and into a state and with a lot of money and get elected. And that weakens Tennessee's voice and in Washington. Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon Lewis, founder of the Tennessee Conservative. Today, we are joined by Senator Frank Nicely, representative of District 8, which includes Claiborne, Granger, Hancock, Hawkins, Jefferson, and Union Counties. He serves as the second vice chair of the Senate Transportation and Safety Committee and is a member of the State Energy, Agricultural, and Natural Resource Committee. Nicely is a recipient of the Tennessee Conservatives Freedom Caucus Award, Conservative of the Year Award from the Tennessee Conservative Union, and Sportsman and Animal Owners Legislative Leader Award. He lives in Strawberry Plains with his wife, Cindy, and they have four children. Senator Nicely, welcome to the program. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Brandon. Thanks for inviting me. Just I have one correction. I did recent redistricting. I lost Hawkins and picked up most of Severe. Really? Well, yeah. then somebody should write a sternly worded letter to whoever runs the state's website. And I believe you could probably walk down the hall and do that. <laughs> <laughs> they, they haven't quite got you up there yet. Your old page is not up. It's just some text on a white screen. I was, uh, I think uh, Amber told me that they were in the process of redoing the website. So that's probably what's going on. Well, it probably is. So, um, Senator Nicely, tell our subscribers, you've got this bill coming up about limiting the percentage of how many donations can come into a campaign from outside of the state. And I am for that. I think it's a good idea. Uh, what are some of the negative aspects you have seen from uh, out-of-state influence in Tennessee elections over the years, uh, specifically as it relates to those campaign contributions? Well, you know, I don't know. We, we we got Hillary Clinton in New York. She was from out of state. You got Romney in Utah. He was from out of state. This last cycle, uh, Herschel Walker, I don't think he was lived in the state. Dr. Oz came in from out of state. You know, these, these rich people with good name out there are moving into, in, into a state and with a lot of money and get elected. And that weakens Tennessee's voice and in Washington, I mean, we when out of staters elect our people, the out of staters have the voice and not us. Now, people say, well, it doesn't matter how much money you raise, uh, you're going to vote the right thing. Well, you do and you don't. I mean, if somebody puts a million dollars in your race, you're going to take his phone call and you're going to try every way you can to wiggle around and, and feel comfortable back in his position. So, uh, just like John J. Hooker, uh, okay. Some of y'all might remember John J. Hooker. He was a flamboyant politician here in Tennessee. Uh, uh, I, I referred to him as Southern aristocracy. And he, he said you should never be, shouldn't be able to raise any money except from the people who are voting for it. Now, several states have tried to do this and failed in the courts. But Hawaii has, and I need to read their legislation, they have gotten away with it somehow because their argument was without a stater's influence their election, it weakens their voice in in Washington, and so I just thought, you know, we it would probably couldn't pass court unless we limit it to our primaries. But the primaries are left up to the states. So my bill says that it limits the amount of money you can raise in a primary 
to 30% out of state of what you raise in the state. And that makes Tennesseans are, are the driving force in your election and not some billionaire from out of state or maybe the Chinese government or who knows too. I mean, you can launder this money enough times, you don't know where the money's coming from now. And super PACs, you know, I'm limited to how much I can give to someone in, in Tennessee. But someone from out of state with a super PAC give a million dollars. So what's fair about that? So I just thought, well, we're just limited to 30%. I just threw that number out there. I mean, it, we could change that in committee if we had to. But most people think 30% is probably somewhere close to being fair. Well, I agree with it. And you're absolutely right. Um, money influences things. I wrote a book called How to Raise Money for Political Office. Uh, I used to raise money uh, for Corker and Desjardins and a bunch of folks that um, ran for state local office. And it, it, it drives policy. Uh, in a way that people don't understand if they've not been involved at, if they've not sat at the tables and the meetings where the things happen and the phone calls call come in. And you're absolutely right. Sticking with campaign contributions, I'd like to get your opinion on something. Over the years, um, I've watched people run for the Tennessee House and Senate. And the first time you run, you might get 10 percent PAC money or money from outside your district, maybe 15 percent. The second time, it might be 30 and then after you've been up there for a while, you start looking at your campaign contributions and very small percentages end up coming from the district from which you're elected. And we just ran a thing uh, called the follow the money report, which we're going to publish here that shows you know Republican leadership and what percentage of their um, money comes from inside the district. And some folks, it's like in the single digit percentages. What have you seen uh, happen in Nashville related to what I call PAC welfare. And that is where you go up there, you got used to raising money in your district, so you kind of had to be accountable. But then once you get on a committee, all this money just starts showing up in your mailbox. And after a while, you kind of get to where you, you, you don't go raise money back in your district. It's like pushing somebody around in a wheelchair, and after a while, they can't walk on their own two feet. Uh, what type of negative influence, if any, have you seen uh, from PAC welfare up in um up in Nashville, we know that out-of-state influence is bad. What about special interest influence, just in your opinion? Well, there's no doubt that PAC money influences some people more than others. You know, it, it, a lot of it depends on the person. You know, I, and you, you, I used to tell people, you can't give, you couldn't give Teddy Kennedy enough money to make him vote for all record. And you couldn't give Ronald Reagan enough PAC money to make him vote. I mean, there, you, you have your core values. And, and I don't, you know, I, I know representatives that don't even, they give the checks to the treasurer. And, uh, I, I mean, I've got checks here from last week. Uh, I've got them from both sides. I've got them. I'm on commerce. I get them from the payers and I get them from the providers. I get them from the hospitals. And I get them from the insurance company. Do they affect me one way or the other? No. I'm going to, I'm the same. I think the same as I did without that. Does, is everyone like that? I hope so. But I think some it, some people, it's hard to vote against somebody that's giving you a big, big chunk of money. Now, if somebody from out of state gives you a million dollars, it's going to be hard not to take their call. But I'm talking about $500, $1,000, you know, $250. And it, it kind of, if you get enough money from enough people, then it doesn't really matter. What it matters is when you're getting all your money from one person. And then say you're a rich guy. Say you spend all your own money. Say you buy, say you buy your election like 
most of our governors have for some time now. We, if you're not a billionaire, don't run for governor. But uh, it's uh, to a lot of people down here. I, I mean, I'm going to defend us a little because no one, no one else is. We get checks from everybody. We get lobbyists from all sides. At the end of the day, the vast majority of us do what we think is best. Now, look at Tennessee. When, when the, I was here when the Democrats controlled everything, and they raised taxes on something every year. It'd be your marriage license, your hunting license. They couldn't go a year without raising taxes. And when, when we took control, Beth Harwell invited uh, Art Laffer to come in, and, and Art told us, he said, if you'll abolish inheritance tax and gift tax, you'll have a surplus in two or three years. Said he won't have it the first year, but said two or three years. So we 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 tried it. We had faith in him. We tried it and it worked. So we came back and we eliminated the Hall's income tax. We phased it over two or three years so it didn't impact the cities too much in any one budget cycle. And now, now we've abolished the professional tax. Uh, this year we, we've cut the tax on food uh, down to 4% on real food. Uh, this year we said that. Your license plates, you don't have to pay your portion of the license plates if you're a Tennessean. The farmers, anything they buy that goes into production on the farm is tax-free now. So, you know, I, I have to brag on the legislature a little bit. We have had, in the last 10 years, a really good conservative, um, look at the gun bills, 50, probably close to 50 gun bills. Who would have thought we needed 50 gun bills? But every time somebody comes up with another slant, yeah, we better take care of that. Better take care of that. And we just keeps on and on. But any any true conservative that doesn't appreciate what we've done in Tennessee in the last 10 years, probably just not paying attention. Is there some little something we did wrong? Why? Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, we're not perfect. But if you look at the big picture, and we got a relatively huge surplus right now, uh, I don't think you can really argue with. And I don't think you can say that the PAC money has affected us all that much. Now, Big Pharma right now is a, is a big player. And uh, used to, there was a time when the Farm Bureau was real powerful. The TEA was real powerful at one time. TML was real powerful at one time. These powerful lobbying groups, they kind of wax and wane a little bit. They kind of, some of them kind of fall back. So it's, it's like a living organism. It's alive and it's growing and it keeps going. But right now, we're in good shape in Tennessee. Well, I think we are. From a taxation standpoint, I don't have any issue. I, I think we do pretty well there. Uh, I think we could probably do a little bit less corporate welfare. I don't think millionaires and billionaires need millions and billions from Tennessee taxpayers. Aside from that, um, I, I don't have any issue necessarily with that, and I appreciate the but, repeal of the taxes well, for sure. Both for the stadium, if that's what you're talking about, $500 million to, to an out-of-state family and in a Democrat district in a Democrat town, and for, for boys that play ball that won't stand up for national anthem, I, I wasn't in favor of that. You know, well, yeah. I'd rather spend that five hundred million on some road projects around here. Amen. I think when they polled it, uh, the Beacon Center did a poll, and eighty percent of Tennesseans opposed it. Uh, it. It was not very. It's not. It's not popular. It's not popular. No. Um, and Republicans in particular didn't like it. There is a prevailing theme on this show, and that is that Republicans say one thing on the campaign trail and in public opinion and in front of conservative primary voters, and yet they do another. Well, here's another prevailing theme. Conservatives that claim to be conservative 
that, that it is something that defines who they are, that if you ask them who they were, and if they listed the top five to ten characteristics, one of which would probably come up is their conservative values. Well, I'm here to tell you that if you look at your bank account and if you look at your calendar over the last 90 days, and if there is not some kind of evidence that you support conservative causes with your time and or your money, those are probably not really your values. Time and money, that tells you where you stand on things. So I would like to encourage you to put some time and some money where your mouth is if you haven't yet. And if you have, thank you. If it weren't for you, we wouldn't still be here. You are the thin red line that is propping up this show. I appreciate you very, very much. Please do help support our work and in our workers. Jason, Paula, Helen, our freelancers. Please, please, please help us here. You can mail us, as some people do, at the mailbag, Tennessee Conservative, 1523 East 27th Street, Chattanooga, Tennessee, 37404. I'll give it to you again, 1523 East 27th Street, Chattanooga, Tennessee, 37404. Or go to tennesseeconservativenews.com slash support, which is what most people do. I need to update that video on there. It's a little bit outdated. And if you give any amount, you'll get this proud Tennessee conservative bumper sticker, this Don't California My Tennessee bumper sticker, which is met with about 95% goodwill and about 5% venom and hatred. And we do have, dum da 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 brand new hot off the presses updated directories of all of your legislative critters up there in nashville and if you get fifty dollars or more or if you give a recurring donation of ten dollars or more we will send you this proud tennessee conservative tumbler it is made of stern strong stuff stern strong stuff uh this thing actually uh is made of of one of the one of the uh, shells that came down uh, during the Civil War here in Chickamauga. I went out and mined every piece of this steel, refined it, uh, sent it to our manufacturers, and made these mugs out of it. Uh, it, it, it has a rebellious heart, rebellious heart, uh, deep inside the center of this tumbler, and you can put all of your favorite beverages in here and drink them and know that every, with every sip, with every sip, you're supporting conservative journalism in Tennessee. And should you wish to uh, drink uh, beer out of a can directly without pouring it into a glass like some sort of heathen, some knuckle-dragging heathen, you can put it uh, in this proud Tennessee conservative koozie as Brandon Lewis does. All right, guys, tennesseeconservativenews.com slash support. Thank you for those of you who give. Help us get to a 5% giving level. That does not seem much to ask, to have 5% of people pulling for the 95% that don't. So please help us jump on that 5% bandwagon. On one issue that we we all agree verbally but we don't do anything on legislatively, although you are an exception, is illegal immigration. You could not probably look up at the Tennessee Capitol right now and look at anybody's website or listen to anybody's stump speech that's been recorded where they would not harangue about illegal immigration because they know that Tennessee primary voters want something done about it in Tennessee. But the last session, you know, we, we had that bill that you had, which was I think was genius and was perfectly fair, which is just you can't transport illegal aliens into Tennessee. It's illegal. And that was killed by Mike Bell and Todd Garden hiring John Stevens uh, in committee. We had the one that says that taxpayers shouldn't be responsible for the, the funding of illegal immigrant children. And if you want to do it as a local municipality, that's OK, or, or a county government. But the tax dollars aren't going to be there. We were going to try to do E-Verify. That was killed. Uh, and the only thing that got through last session 
was a bill that gave uh, illegal aliens professional licenses. And now we've got two bills. One of them is to make non-citizens uh, available to be police officers. And Dale Cars wants to weaken uh, the illegal immigration uh, standards uh, for employment yet again. And so you've got this huge conflict on illegal immigration where everybody harps on it and talks about it and posts about it on Facebook and makes comments about it. But when we have a chance to turn off the magnets that pull it to our state, it just dies in committee. And there's no support from the governor, even though it was part of his 10 for 10 campaign promises. It was right there in black and white. He promised he'd hold the law on illegal immigration. He put an illegal immigration center five minutes from my house and my business down here where kids were molested and lost. And that's the only thing that got it shut down. And we broke the story on that. Why is there this big conflict between what is said on illegal immigration up in Nashville and then what happens when there's actually a bill to be voted on? Well, that's, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I've thought for years that Tennessee, see, as, as Washington fails us, Tennessee has to start acting more like its own nation. You know, I tell people when American Revolution was over, England signed 13 peace treaties with 13 independent nations. Our history books like referred to them as a colony. They, they were nations just like France and Spain. And we gave a little authority to the federal government. They've abused it and usurped our powers. And it's time that we go back and just say, hey, we're going to start acting like a nation again. Washington has just, just dropped the ball. They're not, they're, they're not addressing the problem. They just turned it the other way. You've got fentanyl coming in across the border. Fentanyl's the number one killer in, in America between 18 and 45. Fentanyl is number one. And, you know, we don't know the terrorists coming across. And then uh, just recently when they started, when they announced they're going to start busloading these, these uh, illegal aliens, and, and the word keyword there, illegal. If we're going to, if we're going to ignore that, why do I have to observe speed limits? Why do I have to do anything? I mean, you can't just pick and choose which laws you're going to uh, adhere to. But, um, you know, Tennessee's going to have to start acting more like its own nation. And when these, when these bus loads get here, we just need to escort them on through, send them, send them on north, send them on north. Don't let them stop. I don't know that we have to let them stop. My bill last year would have, like, would have made it illegal to bring these bus loads in. We would have gotten ahead of it. Oftentimes, and I don't think a lot, people bring me bills, but people often bring me bills that are proactive to try to get ahead of a problem they see coming down the pike. And that bill would have been proactive. It would have made it illegal for these busloads to bring them in here. They'd had to have gone on. And, and I, you know, I'm not against immigration, but there's something about legal immigration that I really like. And Senator Fred Thompson said, we need high walls and wide gates, and we need people coming in, but we need to know who's coming in, and we need to know who they are. We need to get the fingerprints. I mean, it's, it's just, it makes no sense just to open the borders and let them flood in there. It's, it's changing our culture within, and then I, you know, I try to learn a little Spanish. They say learning foreign language, fight all-timers. I said, well, I'm just a one step ahead of it anyway, so I'm trying to learn, but still, and I, and I don't have anything against the Mexican people, but I do have something against the illegal. Illegal is a key word. It's illegal. We need to make it, probably need to make it a little easier to get in legal. You know, the reason, part of the problem is in World War II, we needed help. Everybody, GIs were all fighting war. So we let a lot of immigrants come up and do the work. 
then after the war, when everybody came home, the labor union said, hey, we don't all, need all this competition. So they pushed them all back out and made immigration, legal immigration, harder than it should have been. So you can blame a little bit on the, on the labor unions at the, at the end of the war. But um, we like to say, we need to make it hard, hard to get in illegal and a little bit easier to get in legal. I mean, I go to a restaurant in Nashville at night after I've been out here talking to people all day long and there's empty tables. And they say, well, we can't seat you. They say, well, there's plenty of empty tables. They say, yeah, but we don't have staff. You know, what do you do? It's well, I, I agree. I appreciate you sponsoring that bill to stop the transportation. I mean, that just seems like a very good instance. Do again. Maybe we need to introduce that again. I would love to see you carry it again. I think we need uh, Senator Nice to have more people on record when they vote against these measures that are just common sense curtailments of illegal immigration in Tennessee. We need to continue to bring those bills back. And if people want to continue to vote against them in committee, let them go home and talk to their constituents about their views on it. Uh, But I don't think we need to fail to bring proposals to the table because we think it's just going to die. I mean, let it die in committee. Fine. But it should at least have a shot. And right now, the bills that we have this session, we only have two that that make it easier for illegal immigration, and we have none that are that are preventative at all. Who who was a house sponsor on that bill last year? You Dennis Powers. Dennis Powers. We probably ought to drop that in again because now that these bus loads are coming in, it, it, but people might pay a little more attention to it this year than they did last year. Senator nicely, I get text messages because we're the only media outlet in the entire state that covers this issue. Illegal immigration, as you know, gets you labeled, if you just even mention the word of it, gets you labeled as a racist from the moment you speak the word, as if we've never had any type of immigration policies in this state since the very, or the state or the nation, we've always had them. They're they're common sense. Nations have borders, Uh, but we're the only media outlet that covers it. And um, so nobody really knows what's going on with the issue. And people send me, because we are the only source for immigration news in the state, text messages of people outside of Social Security offices. And and people are like, every Thursday and Tuesday, there are three buses out here. They unload them. They go through the Social Security office, and they ship them out. Uh, they've, they've started delivering them here to Chattanooga, Tennessee. They're delivering them all over um the state and there's just no legislative movement to stop it and it understand that people may just be lying about it on the campaign trail but the thing is they talk like they're going to do something and then when it comes for a vote like they there's no leadership support at all and it just it it disappoints so many republican primary voters well like you know and this happens if you you got a good bill you like it and you try to push it down here but when you see that there's the the leadership's going to kill it. You know, it's, it doesn't do you, it doesn't do a legislator any good to go in committee and continually get stuff killed. And sometimes they say, they, they realize they see the handwriting on the wall, they know it's going to get killed. And they say, I'm not going to go in there and, and get, and get another bill killed because I don't want to get labeled as just not being able to pass anything. You know, so the leadership, if they let you know something's not going to pass, a lot of people just, they won't go in there and die on their soul, though, you know, they said. You know, that doesn't do my reputation any good in the long run to, because the public looks like, well, he can't pass anything. When in reality, you know, a, <laughs> the higher-ups kind of tell him, you ain't going to pass that. 
Well, uh, we have not seen it, you know, for it to be such a big issue and for it to be the largest, for it to be as bad as it's ever been in your lifetime, to not have the governor or the lieutenant governor or the speaker doing anything about it or introducing any legislation. I mean, they're posting on Facebook, and I guess I appreciate that and all, but if we're not going to do anything about it, we should just come out and say something very simple like, guys, I ran as a Republican, but I really am for illegal immigration, and I, I just want it and because we need more workers and we need more clients and we need more heads in the school for the government job factory. I'm just for it. If they come out and say that, at least I could be like, well, I appreciate that. But they say, you know, they act like they're going to charge in and do something about it, and then they like don't introduce anything and then anything that is introduced they they get killed and so that just seems disingenuous to me uh what else should people be watching closely in the upcoming legislative session i did see your bill about uh foreign land ownership which i'm uh for and talk a little bit about that and anything else that you think we should know about well there are, there are states that are just listing nations that can't buy property my my, I had a bill a couple of years ago. We couldn't get enough support. They had, but now then everybody's called me and said, "Bring your bill back again. We need it this time." And I said, "Well, why didn't you hit me the first time?" But maybe a reciprocity bill that no one, or, or corporation, or, or entity, or citizen from a nation where we can't buy land can buy land in our. our land. There's, there, you can't buy land in China. You know, I think you can buy land in Russia. I mean, they've got a lot of farmland over there that's sterile because they've overused too many herbicides and it's killed us all. I think you can act, but China, you can't buy land. And Iran, you can't. North Korea, you can't buy land. So we might have a reciprocity deal there in this bill where if we can't buy land in your country, you can't buy land in our country. that take care of it. China's the one we've got to worry about. They're buying it. They own everything. It's If you really knew what China owned, it would scare you to death. There are a lot of China connections in Tennessee. We've exposed some of them, and some of them have been cut off, but it's all over the place, as you mentioned. Yeah. Well, I know that you have got an appointment coming up. Pardon? I know you've got an appointment coming up, so I just wanted to... 12 minutes, and I've got to walk up to the outside stairs. I've walked the stairs every day for 10 years now. and uh, But read up on this central bank digital currency. That's the scariest thing coming down the pike right now. And read up on that, and we'll, we'll talk about it again sometime. Central bank, digital currency, the great currency reset. They want to take up all our currency and give us digital currency on our cell phone. It's different from Bitcoin. This will be money controlled by the central bank on your smartphone. They'll know what you spend. They'll track it with blockchain. And if there's anything more important than illegal immigration, it's the central bank and the central bank digital currency. Read up on it. Tucker Carlson talks about it. He gets mad when he talks about it. Uh, I'm trying not to get mad. I'm just trying to do something about it. But maybe we can talk again about that. That sounds good. I'd love to have you on, uh, Senator Nicely. You've been kind with your time. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, guys, Brandon Lewis here with the Tennessee Conservative News. If you enjoyed this program, please do go to TennesseeConservativeNews.com and hit that red subscribe button and search for Tennessee Conservative wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, I'm Brandon Lewis signing off.